I am eager to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ today from the first chapter of the book of Philippians. And so I'd like to invite you to please turn there with me. Philippians chapter 1 as we continue our series entitled Gospel Happiness. And we have come now to a passage containing one of the greatest and most glorious statements in all of Scripture. The Apostle Paul is writing in prison and he declares in this passage, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Our sermon title is A Win-Win Situation. And we have seen previously in verses 12 through 18, Paul has given an update on his current circumstances, the situation as it presently is. He now transitions, continuing an update, but sharing his plans for the future, moving from looking to the present to looking to the days to come. When there is great difficulty in our lives, when there is great uncertainty in the future, the Spirit of Christ delights to give His people courage and hope and joy in the midst of every hardship. We're going to begin in uh, verse 18, the second half of verse 18. Whoever did the verse divisions really messed this one up. Um, second half of verse 18, there should be a new section that you see begins there. This is God's holy and authoritative word. In fact, I'd like to invite you to please stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's word. Yes, and I will rejoice... For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. May God bless the preaching of his word. You may be seated. Admiral James Stockdale was held captive as a prisoner of war for eight years during the Vietnam War. He was tortured more than 20 times. 
before finally making it home, Admiral Stockdale was asked what made the difference between the prisoners who lost hope and gave up and those prisoners like himself who were able to endure such great difficulty. How can we endure? The difference, Admiral Stockdale said, was a kind of hopeful realism. Do you know who he said who didn't do well? He said it was the idealists and the optimists who convinced themselves that they would be home by Christmas. They caved when year after year Christmas came and went. And Stockdale said that those who survived were honest about the suffering, yet knew they would eventually triumph. He said, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Well, the Apostle Paul had confronted the brutal facts of his current reality. If you are presently facing hardship, there is a man who is giving an update today in this passage who knows hardship and perhaps even a greater hardship. He is imprisoned. He is awaiting trial, not knowing whether the impending judicial proceedings would result in his execution or his release. We too face an unknown future. The days ahead at times look dark. The days ahead at times look miserable. We all have things to fear, things that produce anxiety, circumstances that tempt us to discontentment and to bitterness. Here's the remarkable thing about Paul, and I have prayed that every one of us learns from his example as God intends. The remarkable thing about Paul is that he not only rejoices in his present situation, as we have seen, he is also filled with joy and confidence as he looks to the future. Uncertain outcome, awful situation, possible execution, and the determination to rejoice in the midst of it all. Yes, and I will rejoice. Paul was visited by other believers. I imagine them asking, Paul, how are you feeling about your current situation? Paul, how are you feeling about your future? How are you feeling about the days ahead? And Paul says, as it were, it's looking really good. The days ahead are looking glorious. There is rejoicing. There is eager expectation. There is full courage. There is confidence in Christ. This passage, here's, here is the glory of this passage. It contains the secret to gospel happiness in the midst of gloomy times. The Christian can say, my trials are great, but my joy is greater. And it's not, it's not false optimism. It's not the power of positive thinking. It is a theologically informed realism that produces in the life of the Christian a certain hope and an enduring joy in the midst of every trial. This is the difference theology makes. This is not a matter of personality. This is why truth matters for living. 
And this, this section of scripture, it matters a lot to me as a pastor because I am concerned that there are some who are too controlled by fear and by discouragement. There are some who have not learned to suffer well and to face the future with confidence in Christ. We are too controlled by our circumstances and not controlled enough by Christ and by his honor in our lives. And through Paul's example, the God of hope is up to something really good in our lives. The God of hope intends to fill us with all joy and peace in believing. It's Romans 15 verse 13. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we today, every one of us, would abound in hope. All right, three points. A confident hope, a difficult decision, and a consuming passion. First, a confident hope. And this is verses 18 through 20. Paul is, says that he is rejoicing. Yes, and I will rejoice. Why does he rejoice? Because he knows, he says, this will turn out for his deliverance. That phrase, turn out for my deliverance, is the exact words used by Job in Paul's Greek Old Testament in Job 13, 15, and 16. Though he slay me, Job said, I will hope in him. This will be my salvation or this will turn out for my deliverance. Like Paul, we remember the suffering of Job and we are strengthened by it. Here's a really important question. What does Paul mean by deliverance? Because it's easy to misunderstand this. He says he's sure this will turn out for his deliverance. It is not deliverance from prison. It is not merely a reference to our final deliverance in heaven. Verse 20 explains. The deliverance in view, look at verse 20, is the absence of being ashamed, the presence of courage, and... The honor of Christ in his life, whether by life or by death. In other words, this is a deliverance that will happen if he dies, but it is also a deliverance that will happen if he lives. The deliverance is rather than sinning, rather than despairing, he will honor Christ in life or in death, come what may. And for the Christian... This is your deliverance. This is your eager expectation and hope. Your deliverance is not the removal of difficulty, but the renown of Jesus Christ in your life. And the shame that we seek to avoid is not the shame of imprisonment and death. It's not the shame of poverty and powerlessness. It is the shame of failing to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the shame of bringing reproach upon the name of our Savior. Every trial you face is an opportunity to experience the deliverance of exalting Jesus Christ. Every trial, every valley, including the one you presently face, this will turn out for my deliverance. And you may say, you may look at the hardship presently in your life and say, I can't do it. I don't have the confidence of Paul and I am not at the place of saying, I know Christ is going to be honored in this situation. 
When you say you can't, there's a sense in which you're right. Because on our own, we can't. But there are two means of deliverance in the beginning of verse 19 that God has provided, not only for Paul, but for us today. How does this deliverance come? Not through self-confidence, not through willpower, not through planning and organization. Verse 19, I know that through, here it is, your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The means of the two glorious means of deliverance. The prayers of God's people and the provision of God's spirit. Did you know every single one of us needs the prayers of others? If Paul needed it, I am certain that you and I do as well. Don't keep your greatest needs to yourself. Go to community group and say, I need your prayers. And I'm going to pray for you because that's how God is going to deliver us so that we will honor Christ. So we open up our, I cannot imagine being a pastor without the prayers of the people of God, without your prayers. And not one of us can make it in life without the prayers of the people of God. I know that through your prayers and second, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. How's that for some good news for those who feel hopeless, for those who feel like they're not going to make it, the Spirit of Christ is helping us to live for the honor of Christ, whatever the future may hold. I wonder, is anyone here who needs help today? You're in a situation in which you are aware of your great and overwhelming need for help. Well, Jesus Christ not only died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, dying in our place, and he not only rose from the dead on the third day, triumphing over sin and death, Christ himself, through the Holy Spirit, now dwells within us to help us in time of need. He is our ever-present help. Think of all the times in life, all of the ways that you have been delivered throughout your life. By the help that comes from the Spirit of Christ Jesus. Delivered from fear. Helped in trials. Strengthened in joy. Enabled to honor Christ. My God is a deliverer. All our lives he has been faithful. All our lives he has been good. He has delivered us and he will do so again and again. When we pray for each other. This is one of the most glorious things about the Christian life and Christian community. When we pray for each other, God uses those prayers to fill us with his spirit, the spirit of Christ Jesus, thereby sustaining us and strengthening us through every dark valley. Friends, God, God wants you to have this same confident hope today. He wants to bring every one of us, however great your despair and discouragement may be. He wants to bring us to that place where we too can say with Paul, Oh, I know that this will be the case. There's this confidence. He's saying, I'm rejoicing for I know this will be, I am certain of it. People who love me are praying for me. The spirit of Jesus Christ is helping me. And therefore, I am rejoicing, I am full of courage, because every hardship and every loss in my life will work out for the deliverance of honoring Jesus Christ. A confident hope may 
The Spirit of God grant the gift of that hope to each one of us today. Second, a difficult decision. A difficult decision. The idea of honoring Christ by life or by death at the end of verse 20 is expanded in the rest of this passage. Which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Verse 23, I am hard-pressed between the two. Hypothetically, uh, supposing I could choose between life and death, which we can't. Paul is saying, which would I choose? He's basically saying, okay, group activity. Let's weigh the pros and the cons of each. Do I want to live or do I want to die? And there's a sense in which he doesn't know. He says, I cannot tell. He's torn. He's, he's hard-pressed between these two options. But here's the thing. For us, we, we tend to be torn. I was thinking about this. We tend to be torn because both options are unappealing. Like Life is sad and hard, and death is sadder and harder. For Paul... He's hard-pressed between what he sees as two really good and desirable options. He considers every possible outcome, including death itself, and comes to the place where he says, all right, it's a win-win situation. It, it's a win-win situation. And this is that gospel-centered craziness at work. But it's the logic of the gospel. It's the logic of the truth. And here's how he gets there. He says, my starting point is that Christ and his glory is everything to me. He is what matters most. Because his steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise him. I exist for his glory. I exist for his honor. And now from that starting point, and some of us, the reason we're not where Paul is, is because if we're honest, we, we're, we don't have that starting point. There are other things that we care far too much about than the glory of Christ alone in our lives. But Paul says, now from that starting point, let's weigh the benefits of ongoing life with the benefits of impending death. And he says, okay, I see a lot of Christ-exalting benefits to life, but death also really has a lot going for it. In terms of exalting Christ. This, this outlook is so transformative. This outlook is so life-changing. This outlook is so practical. And it made all the difference in Paul's life in the midst of prison and as he looked to the future. It's the priority of the glory of Christ in our lives that changes everything. He's not choosing between the lesser of two evils. He's choosing between the greater of two goods. And here's the thing. Rather than consider the negatives of each scenario as some miserable Christians are always inclined to do, he is reflecting on the positives and the benefits of each. It's also essential to understand this. Paul is not saying that life is so worthless and meaningless that he would rather die to escape the misery of sin and weakness and suffering. Now, there's certainly a sense in which that may be true, especially for the suffering. When we talk about being ready for heaven, we sometimes go on and on about how awful life is. That's not what Paul is doing here. For Paul, both options have serious joy. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, even in prison, that means fruitful labor for me. That's the live option. At the same time, verse 23, 
My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Why? For that is far better. In death we will dwell with Christ. In life we will bear fruit for the good of others. Either way, your future is bright in Christ. Notice one option for Paul personally is not just better, it is far better. Far better. And what is the reason for that? The text says, because we will be with Christ. And the presence of Christ is far greater than all the treasures in all the world. To be with Christ, to dwell with him in heaven, to experience his nearness, to know his love like never before. This is far better. Death is not the end. For the Christian, there is life after death. Christ died in our place and rose from the dead to triumph over sin and death in order to freely give us eternal life with him. That we would be able to be with him, dwelling in his presence forever. Did you know becoming a Christian transforms the way you view death? Changes all of life, changes all of the way you view death, changes the way you view the worst case scenario. Dennis Johnson says this, what makes death gain is not the earthly misery that it puts behind us, but the heavenly delight into which it will usher us. The delight of, the delight of being with the Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. He says, Paul's desire to depart from life on this earth is ignited by longing to be as near to Christ as possible. Oh, church, do you have that desire? I'm not talking just about those who are aged, those who are closer to death. Every single, I'm talking about the youth. I'm talking about those of you who are in college. I'm talking about those of you who seem to have a lot of life on this earth yet ahead of you. Is departing and being with Christ a glorious thing in your eyes? Do you treasure him more than all the world? Christian, number your days. With each passing day, remember, we are closer and closer to Christ. Think about death. Prepare to die well. Do not fear the grave. Love the Lord. Set your heart on heaven and treasure the Lord Jesus Christ more than all that this world has to offer. Oh, there's a lot that we can look forward to in life. But there is something that is far better than it all. And that is to be with Christ. We are each one of us in Christ pilgrims traveling to our heavenly homeland. Longing more than anything to see King Jesus and to know his love more fully and to be with him forever. This is the glorious hope of the Christian that makes all the difference in life and in death. John G. Patton was planning to go as a missionary to the South Sea Islands. Two London missionaries were the first to attempt to bring the gospel there in 1839. Those two were killed and eaten by cannibals only minutes after arriving on shore. It was now 20 years later that Patton was setting sail to that same place. Some people cautioned him against it. There was an older saint in particular who warned him, you will be eaten by cannibals. 
Here's Patton's reply. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. In other words, to live is Christ. To live is Christ and to die is gain. When Paul considers what is best for himself, it is far better to be with Christ. But it's interesting, when he considers others, his love for the church triumphs. He says, to remain is more necessary for you. Verse 24. The good of others, the glory of Christ in others, was more important to him than immediately being with Christ in heaven. That leads to our third point, last point, which is a consuming passion. A consuming passion. The center of this passage, the anthem of the Christian soul, the motto of our lives is there in verse 21. This is Paul's consuming passion and it sums it all up when he says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This cannot be emphasized too strongly. Here is, this is the meaning of life. The whole meaning of your life. The reason God put you in this world. Your main goal in life cannot be prosperity. Your main goal in life cannot be getting married or having kids. It cannot be good health. Your main goal is seeing Christ honored in your life. Whether you have little or much, whether you are married or single, whether you are bearing children or unable to conceive, whether you are in good health or you are experiencing illness and chronic pain, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Count Zinzendorf said, I have but one enthusiasm. It is he, only he. It is Christ alone. One of the ordination gifts I received 15 years ago was from Jim and Trish Donahue. Jim is one of the large-hearted people that I know. And did you know he gave me a gift because I'm one of his favorite people. So yes, he loves, he loves you too, but I think he may love me more. Because while Jim's giving you hugs, he's giving me hugs and a gift for my ordination. It's a favorite quote of mine, and it's framed. And it's J.C. Ryle on zeal. Did you know I'm a fan of, of uh, J.C. Ryle? Enough so that I named my firstborn son Ryle. Um, and I remember reading this as a young man and being so affected by it. I want to, sh to share this with you and pray this zeal is what each one of us demonstrate in life. This is the framed quote that the Donahues gave me 15 years ago. Zeal in religion is a burning desire to please God, to do his will, and to advance his glory in the world in every possible way. A zealous man in religion is preeminently a man of one thing. It is not enough to say that he is earnest, hearty, uncompromising, thoroughgoing, whole-spirited, fervent in spirit. He only sees one thing. He cares 
for one thing. He lives for one thing. He is swallowed up in one thing. And that one thing is to please God. Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health or whether he has sickness, whether he is rich or whether he is poor, whether he pleases man or whether he gives offense, whether he is thought wise or whether he is thought foolish, whether he gets blame or whether he gets praise, whether he gets honor or whether he gets shame, for all this, the zealous man cares nothing at all. He burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance God's glory. It's what it means to say to live is Christ. My life is defined by my union with him. I live to treasure and exalt him. I'm going to spend my days in fruitful labor for him, for Christ alone. He alone will be the center of my passions. He alone will be the center of my desires. He alone will be my greatest treasure and joy in this world. The reason we love this life is not achievements and fun and entertainment, though we thank God for all of his gifts. No, to live is Christ. He is the great center. Sometimes pastors uh, become known for a ministry that centers on a certain theme or a message other than Christ. Some other doctrine, a favorite doctrine, a cultural issue, denouncing some particular threat. Here at Covenant Fellowship, you know this to be the case. We have resolved to always make our main theme the Lord Jesus Christ. To live is Christ. John Eady explains it like this. What does it mean when Paul says to live is Christ? For me, to live is Christ. The preaching of Christ, the business of my life, the presence of Christ, the cheer of my life. The image of Christ, the crown of my life, the spirit of Christ, the life of my life, the love of Christ, the power of my life, the will of Christ, the law of my life, and the glory of Christ, the end of my life. Christ is all. To live is Christ. Paul says to live in the flesh means fruitful labor for Christ. Did you know God intends for your life for you to contribute in the progress and joy of others in the faith. Verse 25. That means we want to help each other to be more like Christ, progress, and we want to help each other find more joy in Christ. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Unto the grave what shall we sing? Christ he lives. Christ he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Why is heaven so glorious? Everlasting life with him. We have some dear saints who have recently died and others who do not have long. We honor Christ in death by considering nearness to him far better than all the world. Alec Motier says that for the Christian, death is a glorious possession of Christ. Life is a glorious bearing of fruit. And so Christian, I want to exhort every one of you, make this your 
motto, make this your resolve, make this your theme, make this the great anthem of your life, make this your consuming passion. To live is Christ and to die is gain. In 2006, one of my modern day heroes of the faith, John Piper, was battling cancer. And I want to close with this. The evening before his surgery, he wrote a reflection called, Don't Waste Your Cancer. Imagine Paul may have written something along the lines of, Don't Waste Your Imprisonment. Don't Waste Your Cancer. And he said this, and I want to share this because it's relevant for cancer and any other hardship we face in life. Whether you got yourself into that hardship or whether others put you there or whether it's the circumstances of life. He said this, you will waste your cancer if you think that beating cancer means staying alive rather than cherishing Christ. Satan's and God's designs in your cancer are not the same. Satan designs to destroy your love for Christ. God designs to deepen your love for Christ. What's he doing? Deepening your love for Christ. Piper says, cancer does not win if you die. It wins if you fail to cherish Christ. Christian, brothers and sisters, don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your hardship. This will turn out for your deliverance. No one can take that victory from you. No hardship can deprive you of the opportunity to honor Christ. Your present suffering and every future trial will turn out for your deliverance. Christ will be honored in life and in death. And therefore, let the joy of the Lord fill our souls today. Yes, weeping. Yes, lament. Yes, anguish. But let the joy of heaven, let the hope of the gospel come alive in our hearts. Let us look to the future and say, it's a win-win situation. Because what I care most about is the honor of Christ in my life, whether in life or in death or in any hardship that comes my way. To live is Christ and to die is gain. All glory be to the Lord Jesus Christ and the lives of all of his people now and forever. We live for his glory. Amen. There are... There are a number of powerful testimonies of Christ-exalting contentment and joy in the midst of great suffering in this very room. One of those is Phil Serencion, and we've asked him to share his testimony with us. And so, Phil, please come and share with us, brother. So, hi, family. When I was asked to give my testimony on the topic of contentment in trial... I was at once overjoyed and sad. Overjoyed because I get to share how my relationship with God makes a real difference in my day-to-day -day life. But I was also sad as I reflected on the things that we have gone through as a family in the last several years. Uh, for those of you who have experienced life-changing trials, you know what I'm talking about. 
there are times when our pastoral team will send out a postcard with personal signatures that says, we prayed for you this morning. Sometimes receiving one of these in the mail is both encouraging and troubling at the same time. The more often we would get one of these postcards, the more we would often laugh and say to each other, oh, you know it's bad now. <laughs> for those of you who don't know us, here's a brief synopsis of what my family has experienced in the recent past. Uh, first, there was the breakup of my marriage and later divorce with my wife. I became a single parent overnight all while working full time, being an active member of a 12-step program and thankfully serving at this local church. Unmanageability became the new normal. After that started to settle down, I lost my mom in 2018. Then COVID happened. My girls were in high school, that was especially tough. Then came the last three years, I'm just gonna blast through this part because it's hard to talk about and I don't wanna cry. At the end of 2020, my ex-wife passed away after a long battle with substance abuse. My girls were devastated, and on some days they still are. Then about a year later, my youngest daughter, Sydney, was diagnosed with stage three Hodgkin's lymphoma. One year and two days after the anniversary of her mom's death, she started chemotherapy. Uh, but wait, there's more. Um, after that, my daughters also lost their aunt to cancer and their uncle, my sister's husband, with whom we were very close. When people go through rough times, we often try to muster words of comfort and consolation. I had friends call me and say, I don't even know what to say to you anymore. While cancer treatment was especially grueling and scary at times, I'm happy to report that God, using doctors and medicine, has healed Sydney. She is 100% cancer-free. For that, we are grateful. That's right. So today, if you ask me, how's it going? My reply is, right now, no trauma, no drama. I'll take it while I can get it. So how did I endure and seek to remain content through these truly dramatic trials? Is it generally that I'm just a happy guy with an overabundance of serotonin in my brain? I am a self-designated as positive Phil, but I'm not sure that's it. Is it through the outlandish and sometimes inappropriate ways that I tend to make jokes in the midst of very traumatic situations? do find that it is helpful to process even alarming trials with a good laugh and try to remind myself not to take things too seriously. But I know the real reason for my contentment is not a technique or any earthly answer. The real reason is the sustaining grace from above. I have found comfort through all of this muck by looking through God's grace for it all. Uh, thanks to some good pastoral counsel, Shout out to Rob Flood, and I can't just say Rob, like Marty, Joseph for sitting with us through these trials, and, and all of you. Like if I was gonna list names, it wouldn't be sing till noon, it would be like names till noon. <laughs> just say names, 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 names. Um, you all have helped us such a great deal, and, and I asked for the help, and I received that help from this local church, so thank you all. 
I've also worked to develop eyes for the places where God provides. You have to look for it. But there's one thing um, that causes me to be overjoyed every time I think about it. Through the good and the bad and the ups and the downs, one thing remains true. God sent his son, Jesus. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life, one that I could never live. He died on a cross, took the punishment that I deserve. He rose on the third, third day. It was God's stamp of approval on a job well done. Through faith in Jesus, through his spirit empowering me to turn away from my sinful ways, I am accepted, washed clean, and brought into the family of God as an adopted child. Here's the hit. Because of Jesus, I will never know the wrath of a holy and righteous God. I will only know his steadfast love his redemption, and the constant and sympathetic presence of a heavenly father. But wait, there's more. I will spend eternity in heaven with him, beholding his face, enjoying him forever. This is what makes me cry and laugh at the same time during worship. If I remember this, it's hard to care too much about what happens here. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Compared to eternity, living here on planet Earth is just a blip on the radar. In heaven, we are going to laugh at the things we used to get wound up about here. We are all just travelers, just passing through. Whether I'm living in God's grace here on earth or actually in heaven with Jesus, either way, it's a win-win. Jesus has conquered sin and death. This is the gospel. If this isn't good news, I don't know what is. He lives. Because he lives, so do we. The victory is ours. And in light of that, I'm counting it all as joy, y'all. Join me in your daily walk as we count the blessings of God's provision in this life and wait with hope for the day when we will be with Jesus.